We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 129. Coming up on this episode, we do have a Cardinals preview, but before we get to that, Scott, it has been a fun couple of games at the stadium. I feel like the energy that has been lacking in the stadium for a couple seasons has been back for the first couple of days. Yeah, I, that opening day, looking at the everything about it was was really just a, a phenomenal a phenomenal atmosphere. The uh, the crowd was loud. The, the the game was good. Everything was uh, was was coming together on that. So that was exciting. And I got to tell you, having this this midweek show is awesome because it really it, it it keeps us grounded. I think a little bit, right? We have we can't get too high. We can't get too low. But now we can be excited about a three game winning streak and not have to wait till Sunday for them to screw it up. And <laughs> we can get pumped up about this. So uh, I'm glad we're we're able to talk to everybody midweek. This is a brilliant brilliant thing. I totally agree with you. I feel like when we would 
when we were doing the one episode per week last year, we were just stuck talking about the weekend games because if something happened on a Tuesday and we were discussing it on a Sunday, that was out of my brain. I didn't remember it at that point. Well, not to mention the emotions. I mean, the emotions of an entire week in Yankee baseball with these past couple of teams has been, you know, it's a roller coaster. So, I mean, it's going to be that way this year too. So by heading it off at the past and only splitting the week up, there's only so much that can happen in that, in that half of a week. So I like it. I think it's good for our mental, uh, for our mental health for the entire season. My mental health can only improve with the Yankees. Well, that's true. Speaking of the energy at the stadium and energy around an event, June 10th, we have some details that are coming together. Yes. So the last time we've been talking about this, a few other, uh, a few of the other shows, and I had a, uh, a meeting this past this, this week on Monday and finally get some details for you guys. June 10th, I tweeted it out. We're doing a, uh, just a, a overall details again. The event is going to be for an Orioles, Yankees Orioles game. We're throwing a pregame party. And now I can disclose that the pregame party is going to be at Billy's. And the pregame party will be from four to six and will be sponsored by Bronx Brewery, who is uh, basically going to be giving us a few kegs for the outing itself. It's going to be included in the ticket price. And we're going to be drinking their really, really good Bronx Banner beer. So I am really excited for that. It's awesome that we have two more partners now that are that are coming in on on this event, and I'm expecting this to be big time, bigly. So if you are thinking about coming, make sure that you're definitely coming. If you have Yankee fan friends, make sure you tell them, get a group, let's do this. June 10th, we have a lot of tickets that are available, and I want to sell every single one of them so that we can have a massive group and roll into Yankee Stadium as one giant, huge Posse, if I could say posse. Big time. Slap at the base. Big time. Do you get that reference? Yep. Oh, yeah. I got that one. Paul Rudd. I'm a big Paul Rudd fan. <laughs> there you go. Knew you would be. Um, yes, I'm definitely excited about it. We are kicking up the Bronx Pinstripes outing uh, to, a, to another level this year. So it's going to be awesome. More details to come. More specific details on pricing and also where you can get those tickets to come in the next few days. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And we will... Certainly be pumping it on this podcast between now and June 10th. Scott, after his first rough couple of games, Aaron Judge has been awesome. Three game, three straight games with a home run. He hit the homer in Baltimore that kind of got his season kick-started. And now he's just hitting lasers all over the field. He hit one today, uh, Wednesday against Tampa, that if it hit the pitcher would have killed him. Would have gone right through him because it was 116 miles an hour. The fastest hit stat track has ever recorded. That StatTrack has ever recorded? That's interesting. StatCast, whatever, whatever that, yeah, StatCast. Because yeah, Aaron Judge, it's yeah. not even the hardest hit that ball that Aaron Judge has hit this year. I mean, it's, it's in. No, it was, 116.5. I thought he hit one 117 that was a ground ball. Maybe that was last year. The, uh, the, the difference with, with the ball that he hit today, it was right back up the middle. I, you're, like you said, I don't know how the pitcher got out of the way. It was that big dude, no, he right? he didn't. It just missed him. I, I mean, know, but I mean, just... kill him. I mean, get out of the way to <laughs> injure you, to to almost kill you. That's that's how I'm wondering how he got out of the way because the thing was like directly at his chest, and he did some you know matrix maneuver to avoid death. Really, I mean, honestly, I mean, it was that hard. It was ridiculous. Do you know what I love about Judge is that when he hits one 116 miles an hour, doesn't even look like he's swinging out of his shoes. No, he's just a massive human being, and it's all just brute strength. It's 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 amazing to watch. It really is the 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 way that the ball just launches off that dude's bat. It's it's fun to watch. 
And then he hit the home run into Monument Park, and I was watching the replay because, unfortunately, I did not get to see the game today. Stupid work got in the way. First innings of all the whole season that I've missed, the first couple innings of today is because of, of a damn meeting at work. But I saw the replay of Judge's home run, and it, it looked like he kind of got jammed a bit. And the ball went 430 feet to dead center. Yeah, yeah, and it did. I I don't think he did get all of that ball. And like you were you were tweeting out earlier about Coney and Susan Waldman, all all just taking our predictions and and acting like they're their own. Like like Darren Judge <laughs> is going to go Mickey Mantle and hit the ball out of the stadium. I could see it happening. This dude has that type of power. And if look, the stars have to align, and he's got to hit the ball the right way. It's got to be a, a you know a humid day where the ball is just flying. But he's going to do it. I swear to God, he's going to do it. Uh, yeah, I feel like they, I mean, if you listen back to our podcast from early February, you and I had that discussion. And then I wrote that blog asking if Judge can hit the longest home run in Yankee Stadium history, which that I'm almost certain is going to happen. I think it's 472 feet. So he's got to reach like 473 feet. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton hit two over 490 feet last year. Yeah. And I know he's an animal, but... I'm pretty confident if you give Judge a full season, he's going to pop one 480 at the stadium because he got jammed and hit at 437 feet today. I think one of the most exciting things about watching him on a daily basis now and seeing how, I mean, look, we all we all knew that, and the, the book on Judge was every level, he has struggled in the beginning and then had that acclimation process and got into the swing of whatever level it was, no pun intended, and was and started, you know, the success came... Uh, at a later date. There was always that struggle every single time. It was like clockwork. And again, this has happened like clockwork. Are we going to see him struggle again? Absolutely. He's got a longer swing. It's going to happen. But And pitchers will also adjust to what he's doing this season, and he'll counter-adjust. It'll be a whole song and dance until he gets his feet feet secured into Major League Baseball, and that just happens with young players. But the beautiful thing is when you're watching him and you just see his mannerisms and the way he's out there, the confidence. The confidence is growing in him so fast it seems like he's just every day just a, a, another confidence. another 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 level of confidence is hitting him and when he has confidence at the plate he the last three games he only, he's only struck out one time and he's been six strikeouts in 20 sorry to interrupt six strikeouts in 26 at bats this year yeah which yeah. is about 20 percent and you're seeing it kind of percent that's huge that's enormous i mean he was at over 50 percent last year almost at 50 percent <laughs> no so, exactly 50 50 percent so you're seeing a guy that's that's obviously improving in confidence I think has a really, really um, has a lot to do with you know the way he plays and and takes the takes those at bats because not even not even the the ones the at bats that you're seeing that he is um, you know getting out he's he's putting together good at bats so mm-hmm. it's huge improvement yeah. so far. He also seems to be coming up in clutch situations like we saw the home run in Baltimore that tied the score. He had the uh, the the RBI single on Wednesday to tie the game as well today. So. He's getting some clutch hits for them, which is huge. And you said confidence, and also I, I feel like poise is a good word for him. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to some of his post-game interviews, you can just tell. It's like the Yankees sent Judge and Greg Bird to the Derek Jeter school of post-game interviews. Yeah. Don't say anything. Don't say anything controversial. Just go about your business, have a professional attitude, and uh, you could just tell. Like, Judge, the, the interviews he's given were re- reminded me so much of Derek Jeter. And I forget who it was. Did we? I don't remember if we talked about this on the show or if I saw it on on Yes or I saw it somewhere about t- them talking about um, somebody compared. It was either Reggie or it was somebody in the organization. No, yeah, compared that it. was in. Um, it was you know what it was. 
I don't remember if we even talked about this, but do you remember when AJ Przinsky on Fox was oh, calling yeah, that yeah. game? Yes. Yeah, and he talked about it. By the way, that was just an atrocious broadcast by by Fox and AJ Przinsky. But uh, yeah, it was him that mentioned it. Okay. Well, now, and the one of the billion things he said. Well, now I'm upset that I'm giving AJ Przinsky any credit or any airtime about things he said because he did make my ears bleed. But I guess the one thing he said, I don't even remember who it was, who he was talking about in reference to to what Judge reminds him of. Anyway, it was a high compliment and reminds him of Jeter with off the field because that's exactly what he does. Leadership, we, clubhouse leadership, and 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 yeah, just the way he talks. I mean the he's extremely poised during those interviews. It's not even just the Yankee way too, but like just the way he carries himself with the way he talks. It's he's just, he's very poised. You can tell that the guy has a really, really good head on his shoulder. So it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. And he's going to get longer home runs. And I noticed that uh, you did a retweet contest for a Judgment Day t-shirt. Is he the new A-bomb retweet contest? Is it going to be Judgment Bomb? I'm kind of scared to do that, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Because it might be 50 of them? Yeah, and especially on this pace. If you remember when I started that, it was actually (laughs) when A-Rod was going like buck. And it was right in the beginning of it. And I'm like... I'm like, it's okay, not gonna last. It's yeah, not gonna this last. isn't going to last. I'm like, this is perfect. It'll get some good out. It gets some good t-shirts out there. And and then all of a sudden, A-Rod just hit, hitting a home run like every day. And maybe uh, what you do is anytime he hits one over 400 feet, you, you give it away. Yeah. That's a lot of details though. It's, I, I feel like, you know, on our end, we got to keep it simple. So yeah, or, we'll, or a Yankee stadium judgment bomb. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. It's, um, I haven't made the, my mind up completely on which guy we're going to use yet, but I'm definitely thinking about judge just because. I think with with when with Sanchez out with Bird out, Judge is taking advantage of this opportunity for with Yankee fans, and he's becoming even more of a favorite than uh, than I think a lot of people expected him to be. So, I also uh, and I I hope fans don't start complaining about this, but I don't mind one of the things I have not minded so far about Joe Girardi's lineup decisions, and there's a lot to get angry about so far. I feel like, but leaving Judge in the seven eight range right now while he's got the confidence and it's working, I don't want to, like, no need to move him up at this point. No, let's not mess with something that's working right right now. Plus, you have guys like, Don't put are, extra pressure. I mean, not that, and we just said he's got poise. Maybe he can handle it. But the Yankees are, like like you said, Bird and Sanchez are out right now. Yeah. Like, but there's no reason to just stick Judge at the three or the four spot just because he's hitting a little bit. I feel like that could that could mess him up a little bit. I, I want to see this kid gain a lot of confidence, and then we can start moving him around. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think Girardi, when I'm saying messing up a good thing, I'm, I'm not even just talking about his on-the-field performances, but but everything he's doing. I mean, mentally. I mean, he's, he's comfortable in this spot right now, and Girardi definitely wants to keep the pressure off of him and let him just focus on his mechanics, focus on the small things. Just like you said, as that confidence grows, as he becomes more of a a comfortable guy in in you know in the major leagues and can adjust to the pitching, then you'll see him to start move up. There's no rush to do that. Everybody needs to remember still that we're obviously going for a playoff spot, but this is a year where we need to see progression. I feel like people are going to forget that as as the Yankees start winning games and as you see games like today with Judge doing well, it's still a progression. These guys are still building and and trying to build and build to to become the player that we need them to be. For 2018, 2019, 2020. So just keep that yeah. in mind. Keep that in mind, eight, people. We're eight games into the season. Yeah. At the, right? They're four and four. Eight games in. So yeah. 500 ball, baby. We've, we've been <laughs> used to that for a long time. <clears throat> eight games in and four of them, the last four, have not been played with Greg Bird on the field. He had the ankle issue and then he was uh, had the mental, men, looked like he was mentally not on the field like you and I talked about on the last episode. Then he had the, the po- uh, food poisoning, maybe flu-like symptoms that, that kept him out. He did not play on opening day at Yankee Stadium on Monday. That was kind of a surprise because you and I 
talk that he was probably going to be in the lineup, especially because I saw him warming up on Sunday if he needed to go in the game. But Girardi kept him out again. They didn't play on Tuesday, so he had another day off. And now he's not in again. I know Blake Snell is a, a lefty, but are we just sitting Bird against lefties at this point? Or is there is there more of a... More of an issue with Bird than the Yankees are leading on, or do we have a Greg Bird con- conspiracy? I saw that going around on Twitter today. Yeah, that was definitely being talked about. The, I mean, from what Girardi's saying, they it just seemed like a, another good opportunity to have him rest that ankle one more day against a, a lefty with a young kid like Snow, who's supposed to be a tough kid. Uh, he was pretty good against us. He's, I feel like he's he's done that a few times, even last year. He oh, he's was against, against a B squad lineup. But, yeah, <laughs> the uh, but you know at the same time they're they're. I, just trying to make sure he's healthy, and I'm fine with that. Honestly, if I think it's more the ankle that they're concerned about than the flu-like symptoms, I think that was just something that came about. I just I think they want to make sure that this ankle heals. You know, if it is a bone bruise or whatever the hell they call these things, contusion. You know, I mean, how many how long did Brett Gardner's contusion bone bruise last in, in the beginning of last year? I mean, it was insane how how long that thing uh, it carried through the off season for God's sake. So they want to make sure that it's it's all good. Yeah, and hopefully Bird can just get a fresh start when he, once he gets back on the on the field. I mean, it's only he's only played four games, so it's. I mean, I know he's had a, he's struggled. He only has one hit, but it's only four games for him. Yeah. So I'm not worried about Greg Bird. He's he he's fine, and maybe the in, <laughs> maybe the injury was was part of it. And if and if something does happen, and if he does not perform, it's all your fault. All of I it. Know. All of it. I, I'm a little worried. I mean, this guy was like you know coming at John Olerud was the comparison, if we remember correctly. Yeah, I, I do remember correctly. It was only a couple weeks ago. Okay. But I, I think we did not see Bird pinch hit for Chris Carter with the bases loaded against a right-handed pitcher in the fifth inning on Wednesday. That's a perfect spot at that, at that point to pinch hit for Carter, who I am totally done with, by the way. Yeah. He gives horrible at-bats. Yeah. I don't know why he's batting in the in the middle of the batting order. I know we had that one it's a triple. Default. It's a default. But, like, his swings look so lazy. He has no approach at the plate. Right. Like, yes, I understand that he's got power and he's a massive guy. I see it that if he has 600 at-bats, he'll run into 40 fastballs and hit 40 home runs. But I'm not prepared to put up with all the other shit with him. Look, I I was a guy who was talking about it. It's well known if you listen to the show that I was like, good move. Why not? 40 home runs. Fine. I had never really. I'm looking at paper. I saw it. You know, his stats. That's what I was going off of, really. When I saw him in spring training, we talked about this when we were down in Tampa too, but when I saw him in spring training and now I'm seeing him play on a daily basis with, with the Yankees in the lineup, I, 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 cannot, I cannot stand his approach at the plate. I, his swings are just, I don't know how he ran into 40 home runs. I don't understand that. I really don't. I would never give him a fastball, ever, 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 ever. This guy, all he does is look for a fastball down the middle of the plate and puts this horrible, lazy, just, just barely anything swing. The only reason he's hitting it out is because he's a massive guy. I don't get it. I don't get Chris Carter. He hasn't been that bad defensively. That's, I guess, something that's that's uh, been okay. He's been he's been serviceable over there playing defense. But yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I really have. Um, I've been very disappointed and uh, just kind of shocked in just the the way he looks as an offensive player. It's frustrating because the Yankee the Yankees brought in Matt Holiday this offseason, who always gives good at bats. Right. I mean, he's he's up there working the county, walked five times over the weekend in one game. So he's always got a good ap- approach at the plate. We like Gary Sanchez and Bird's approach at the plates when they're on the field. Gardner always has a good approach. Say what you want about Ellsbury. I mean, he's frustrating, but he doesn't he doesn't swing at everything. He takes pitches and works count. And then you stick Carter in the middle of the lineup. 
We already have Castro, who, who can be frustrating with his approach at the plate. But right. Castro's not going anywhere right. at this point. So I, I don't need another guy like Castro who isn't as good as Castro in other aspects of the game up at the plate. Yeah, so. I guess the key right now is that he's he's the body that has to play because there really isn't much of a, yes. a, another opportunity for anybody else. I mean, the the only right. other guy we're looking at at playing first base right now who's who's remotely ready to play in the major leagues or 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 can take that spot on a you know on a backup basis if Greg Bird were out for a while is Ref Steiner at this point and he was a he was thrown into that fire last year you know randomly out of the blue uh, Ref Steiner who's all of what 5'10 maybe playing first base you know for the first time but but he's a guy there aren't very many other options they had Headley over there at one point but that's a that's a last resort uh, Romine has some experience over there but they need him to catch obviously now so there's really not that many options yeah and and, and talking about that fifth inning spot you know, it has to go back to the ankle. I mean, I think the key the key thing about that that situation is that it wasn't the fifth inning, and that if Bird were to pinch it, he would have had to go out and play defense. So, well, he's supposed to play tomorrow, Bird. So, if the, if his ankle is going to be okay on Thursday, then why isn't it okay to play four innings on Wednesday? I think it has more to do with the fact that he hadn't played in five days. That's probably so true too. He was rusty, but. But still, I mean, I knew Carter was not going to get the runs in in that situation. I knew he wasn't going to. Yeah, it was bad. I, I just, I can't, I can't, it's, his swing is so simple. It's like, it's just hands moving. I feel like the rest of his body doesn't even move. And granted, he probably doesn't even have to because if he makes contact, you know, a lot of times it will go out. But man, it's hard to watch. It really is. It's, it's a, it's just, it's not, it doesn't look like a major league. It doesn't look like a major league guy taking a uh, a hack at a, a at a major league pitch. It really just it looks, looks like, like a beer a, league softball guy. It looks bad, yeah. I mean, I said it when they signed him. The the Brewers who suck had no use for a forty home run hitter. That should have raised some red flags. Well, it did, and that's why he got signed so cheap. That's the reason. I mean, it was it, it became it became one of those things where if you're cheap enough, we'll get you, and that's and that's why it happened. Yeah. Uh, bad news for Gary Sanchez. He's going to be out four weeks, at least four weeks, with a grade one strain of the Brachilius. Brachilius? Sure. I don't know how to pronounce that word. It's the muscle behind the bicep. So we originally thought it was a bicep strain, but it's the muscle behind the biceps on that massive hack he took on Saturday. Sucks that he's out four weeks. Higgy got the call up. Uh, Higgy caught Montgomery on Wednesday uh, because he caught him in the minors, but... Sanchez being out for four weeks is probably, um, well, it's definitely more than we originally were hoping for when he went down. But this is going to test this lineup because Sanchez was the key to the lineup the whole second half once he was called up last year. So they're going to have an extended period of time now without Gary Sanchez. And we, even though he didn't have many hits, I mean, he was hitting the ball hard and he finally had his home run. So I felt like he was right about to get hot at the plate. Yeah, I mean, when you take out your your most feared hitter in the middle of your lineup, then then you're going to have to make adjustments and you're going to have to do different things because, you know, the 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 thump isn't there as much, and especially with Greg Bird not. I feel like we're almost in the same situation we were last year when Teixeira was doing nothing and A Rod was doing nothing. It's it's almost a right now. I mean, granted, it's only been a week or two weeks, but it's uh you know with Bird being out and Sanchez being out, it's a, it's equivalent to to something very similar. The nice thing is, is that Holiday's been hitting the ball decently. Um, and then, you know, we're getting production. I mean, Ellsbury's been a hell of a lot more productive than expected. Headley has been, you know, eyes <laughs> eyes wide open 
2012 productive. I mean, the dude's having good at-bats. Did you see the report today that apparently what he did this offseason was watch a video of himself from 2012 when he had that um, really good season with San Diego? Yeah. No, that's perfect. That's good. He should do that. Why took him, do it took that? him five years to figure out, hey, maybe I should do the same thing I did when I almost won the MVP. Yeah, maybe he thought he was doing it, and then he had to go back and do it again. Look, look, at, the, look at the videotape. Good for him. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm happy he's doing this. You should be nicer to him right now because he is legitimately – uh, part, one of the reasons why this team has four wins. I mean, this guy is doing a lot of very good things for this team. And as I'm much as you hate scared. him, as much as you hate him, you need to be objective in the fact and give him some credit. And now is the I'm time. Sli- no, I'm slightly scared that once I go soft on Headley, that's when he'll relax and he'll start to suck again. <laughs> he's not an. I don't think he's an in the season listener. I think he's an out of out, out of season listener. While he's watching the 2012 video, he's listening to the Yankees. To, to the Bronx Pinstripe show. Someone's so, feeding him the information. Someone's feeding him oh, you th- all the oh, nasty you think things I'm saying about him. Yeah. Yeah. The um, I can tell you this insider information. The uh, the Yankees translator, uh, his name is escaping me right now, follows us on Instagram. Just saying. There, there you go. Just saying. <laughs> that's that's we're connecting the dots now. Um, we would be remiss if we do not talk about Big Mike. The good Big Mike showing up on Yankee Stadium opening day, taking a perfect game into the seventh inning before being jinxed by Martha Stewart. Did you see her tweet about the perfect game? And then two outs later, it was gone. I did. I absolutely did. Martha Stewart. Go back to jail, Martha Stewart. You should be in. People were tweeting how you should be in jail for that tweet. (laughs) That was awesome. I don't mind if John Sterling or Michael Kay or announcers or even regular Yankee fans on Twitter are talking about the perfect game because jinxes are stupid. Except I jinx Greg Bird. I do believe in that. Uh, But when Martha Stewart chimes in, I mean, it's hard not to buy into the jinx. Okay, first of all, jinxes are not stupid. They're real. They're 100% real. And Yankee fans on Twitter should absolutely be never talking about a perfect game. The announcers can talk about it. And a lot of the, the good ones do it by, you know, working around the actually saying it, but it's their job to call the game. So that's, it is, it is what it is. But people like Martha Stewart and any Yankee fan watching should not be talking about it. No, you should absolutely be not talking about anything. You can know it in your head. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't type it. Don't do anything that recognizes what's going on during the game. You can think it, but that's it. You never saw like a perfect game or a no hitter in person, right? No, not in person. I mean, just the on closest, TV, that's it. Yeah. yeah, the closest I came was I was on an eighth grade field trip at, in Philadelphia, and we were at a Phillies-Diamondbacks game. And I remember this had to have been like 2000, whatever, 2002, I think. And it was Schilling versus Vincente Padilla, Schilling pitching for the Diamondbacks. And Padilla took a uh, no-hitter. It wasn't a perfect game. He took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, and it was broken up pretty late in the eighth inning. That was the closest I ever came. That's impressive for Vincente Padilla to do that because that dude gave up a lot of hits and he used to hit a lot of guys too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, he did hit a lot of guys. He was one of the he was one of the giant assholes in the game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but Pineda, I mean, it's it's one of those things you and I have talked about it for two years on the podcast that this is what makes him so frustrating right. because he's capable of almost pitching a perfect game. And then he goes out there like he did his first start against Tampa Bay, and he's absolutely terrible. And he can't get two, he can't put hitters away with two strikes, and he can't get out of innings with two outs. And he and he hangs sliders in the middle of the plate, and he's throwing his arms up like a used car salesman, and he's huffing and puffing on the mound, and he's got ninety pitches by the third inning. I don't understand why it's such a wide range on the spectrum between Pineda. Why can't we figure out? 
somewhere in the middle. That's all I'm asking for. Some consistency out of this guy. I don't know, but it's, you know, when he does have a good game like this, and, you know, this time it was Austin Romine catching him. Do it again. <laughs> do it again. Oh, now and we're going to have a personal catcher controversy. Absolutely. 100%. Oh, 100%. This is, I don't I care. This. If he this. does. Mentally weak people need personal catchers. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And that's why he needs, a, he needs a personal catcher badly. He needs somebody that caters to him. Austin Romine obviously gives enough positive feedback and, and you know, good positive things to him that, that he's fine and, and calls the changeup enough that, that he doesn't question it. I don't know. But Austin Romine did a good job. He called the, catch, he tr- he called the changeup often. He threw it often. And we've said this before. Even if it's not working, throw it. I don't so care. So we can't just tell Sanchez, hey, call the changeup more. Okay, done. Three fingers down. Change up, please. No, this is what I'm saying. First of all, Sanchez isn't playing right now. Romine. Well, once he does. Once Romine, he does. No, what I'm saying is that Romine needs to catch the next one. And if it works, he catches the next one. And if it works, <laughs> he catches the next one. And on and on until it stops working. And we see the bad Mike Pineda that we could switch it up again. But I'm no, saying, because I want to str- I want to keep I don't some consistency. Set a precedent. I don't want to set a precedent. I mean, Romine's going to be catching. He's going to be the everyday catcher or the starting catcher until Sanchez comes back. But when Sanchez is back, I want Sanchez behind the plate as much as possible. I mean, God forbid Gary Sanchez gets a DH uh, gets a DH spot every once in a while. God forbid. Okay, yes, but we were thinking about that anyway. But if you make it Michael Pineda start every time, then that sets a precedent. And what if we're in a big situation? the playoffs or in a September game when you need Sanchez bat in the lineup. Oh, and Michael Pineda is starting. So we're going to switch it up. We saw it with AJ Burnett countless times and he didn't like throwing a Jorge Posada. And a couple times Joe Girardi would say, you know what? I'm going to go with Posada today because we need his bat in the lineup. And Burnett would suck because he's mentally weak. And we hated that about him. So this is where we are with Michael Pineda. Let me tell you what, it's a damned if you do damned if you don't. I mean, First of all, I'm not, I, I was kind of halfway joking when I'm talking about this because I don't think it'll work anyway. Because Michael Pineda is just He'll still be up and down. One yeah, good, it's one not. Good. Uh, yeah, like part of me is just I'm really just spitting some bullshit right now. But at the same time, if if it is working, roll with it for as long as you can. Figure out why it's working, and then and then try to adapt that with somebody else too. But Austin Romine apparently, you know, he had a good a uh, good day. Not I'm not saying it was Romine alone doing that. Because we know what, what this is. Pineda does have these good days. He's done it before. When he struck out 16 or 18, however many it was, last year. And, you know, it was he has these phenomenal days, and then he just comes back down to earth. So am I expecting him to be like this? No, not even remotely. People are getting excited about him. And I'm like, watch, watch, what, you're, you know, watch what you're believing right now. I mean, keep, keep an eye on that. Temper your expectations. Because if you, if you get really high, you're going to get very disappointed, and you're going to hate him. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's what that's what we were saying, right? Uh, that as great as this start was, and as much as it was electrifying the Yankee Stadium crowd, it's just going to make his next start or the next time he sucks that much more disappointing. Yeah, and it's going to, uh, you know, I'm going to be on pins and needles for the next start because you think it's going to be next. <clears throat> yep. Oh, I mean, I was on pins and needles the whole time. Like, yeah, oh, oh yeah. is this going to be the two-strike pitch where he hangs a slider in the middle of the plate? Right. But when he's on, he is filthy. All right, uh, quickly, I unfortunately did not get to see Montgomery's Major League debut. I, I kind of caught the end of his start on the radio. What did you see out of him? Jordan Montgomery looked really good. He looked comfortable. He was uh, commanding his pitches. He has very, very good swing and miss stuff. I mean, four pitches, he he mixes it up. He uh, he caught 
or he was up there with with Higgy who had caught him I think 13 times last year they had mentioned so that's a that's a good thing um, to get him you know slowly acclimated into the major leagues that was a that was a good move I think by Girardi but you know he left a, he threw a ball to Wiki uh, to Ricky Weeks Wiki Leaks <laughs> to Ricky Weeks and it uh, it stayed over the plate and he didn't miss it I mean he he hit it out uh, and the at bat before that he had an 0-2 count on Longoria and then walked him so I think those are your two circled bat uh, at bats where you look at him and and maybe he lost concentration or whatnot but. That was it. That was the only. Those were the only two mistakes, in my opinion. I thought. I thought he was really, really good. At, you know, besides that, and uh, I, I, I'm glad that we have another lefty in there that he got an opportunity. And I think he's going to be good. I really do. I think the fact that he's got he can command four pitches is huge. Yeah, they're going to give him another start. Girardi said that he liked what he saw despite the, the mediocre results. So, um, I I was I was uh, kind of following on Twitter what was going on and I saw this tweeted out that Montgomery was the first left-handed starter to make his major league debut for the Yankees since Chase Wright in 2007 and you may remember Chase Wright as the guy who gave up back to back to back to back home runs in Fenway Park uh, on a Sunday night game in April might have been one of the worst Yankee games I've ever watched in my entire life so it's been that long since the Yankees have produced a homegrown lefty starter. Yeah, that was it. Was brutal to watch when you uh, when you said that name. I looked up who it was again, and I saw his face. I think I felt like I saw the anguish back from that game again. <laughs> I relived it. But yeah, uh, Cohn was talking about the way that he throws because he's kind of a unique guy with as far as a lefty goes. He goes very much over the top, which a lot of lefties do not. You see, a lot of lefties have more of a sweeping, you know, uh, motion and, and have that big slider that comes way across the plate. And he compared him almost to uh, the mechanics of a, a left-handed Mike Mussina in the sense that he comes over the top, whereas Mike Mussina was a very, you know, uh, exaggerated over-the-top guy. And I think Montgomery, I thought it was a good comparison. Interesting. Yeah, Price is another guy who I feel like comes way over the top for a lefty starter. Yeah, Price, I think, changes his arm angles more, though. He, he definitely throws from different places. Um, also in the game on Wednesday was that collision between Weeks and Gardner. Oh, that thing, <laughs> That thing was nasty. Again, I... I, again, I was in a situation where I was listening on the radio and Sterling's losing it because he did not – the way he reacted to that collision was like any old regular collision at first base where neither guy falls over. It's just kind of like a little thing. And then I see people freaking out on Twitter and I'm like, okay, clearly this is something big that happened. And then they were talking and Gardner was on the ground, Weeks was on the ground. And then I saw the video of it and I'm like, this thing was like a free safety coming over the middle on, yeah. an, on an open wide receiver and they just – smash together full speed how john sterling did not react at all to that i don't know I, again i don't think he can see i think i don't think he can see the field <laughs> but um so that thing was nasty gardner's day-to-day weeks i don't know what his injury situation is but gardner's already got a little bit of a frail situation not that he's not that he's uh weak i think he plays through injuries but he's injury prone well, that's the thing. He's injury prone because he plays like a bat out of hell. I mean, the, he he literally Ricky Weeks is not a first baseman, and it was very evident because he came right across the bag after a bobbled ball, and and uh, and Gardner, you know, at the very last second looked like he tried, you know, lowered the shoulder a little bit, not not to lay him out, but just to kind of protect himself, and and definitely hit with Ricky Weeks, who is not a small guy anymore, by the way. He's definitely bigger than he used to be. I was confused when the junior was on there. I'm like, is this Ricky Weeks' kid? Or, no, it's the same Ricky Weeks. It's the same guy. That same bad Ricky Weeks. Yeah, and uh, he took he definitely took the brunt of it, but he's a big dude. Um, but it, and it spun Gardner. I mean, it was it was a big hit. That was a like a freight train coming down. That was a big hit. Yeah. If you yeah, haven't so seen we'll get, it, go to our Twitter and there's a, a video of it. 
we um we'll get an injury i'm sure update on gardner hopefully he's nothing more than day to day because um he was actually having a pretty good season even though he had a terrible spring so Okay, before we get into the Cardinals preview, remember to rate and review the podcast in iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. It really helps out the show, and Scott and I do enjoy reading those reviews. So let's get into this Cardinals preview now. We have not seen the Cardinals in a long time at the stadium, so this should be pretty interesting to find out what's going on with them this year. We are now joined by John Fleming from Viva Albertos. It's a Cardinals podcast. John, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me on. So the last time we saw the Yankees and Cardinals play was back in 2014 at uh, at the Cardinals stadium. So we have not seen it in a while. It's one of those series that we don't see very often. And uh, something else that I'm sure we'll, we'll hear a lot of this weekend from announcers is that it's a 1964 World Series rematch. So we've got that going for us as well. Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but I suppose people who were around in 1964 might. I think one of the biggest questions that Yankees fans have for Cardinals fans, and maybe you could shed some light on this, how do Cardinals fans feel about Joe Buck? I guess it depends which Cardinals fans you would ask. I personally am fine with them. I think that like there are certain segments of Cardinals fans that think that he has like an anti-Cardinals bias, which I to- totally do not understand at all how anyone would think that. But like I think he's fine. I think that any announcer that's going to be on a national stage is going to inevitably be criticized. Like that happens. Like obviously Joe Buck's the lead announcer for NFL on Fox, but people criticize Jim Nance with CBS. They cover. They will criticize the lead announcers in the NHL, NBA, and it's just inevitable that if you're covering as many sporting events as he is, then they're going to be problems. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that HBO series helped them much either. That was, uh, that was, I think that led led a lot of people onto uh, onto the Joe Buck hate train. Yeah, I think that that hate train was going to end up leaving the station regardless. It just sort of speeds up the process when you're of that high of a profile. And then obviously, there's a lot of people who view him as just being Jack Buck's son. They view it as nepotism and. I think probably it was to start out, but I think he's proven over the last 20 some odd years to at least be a capable announcer, even if he's not quite Jack Buck or up to that like upper echelon of announcer as far as like all timers. So the Cardinals this season, and we just sort of mentioned before we got started here that they're in the middle of a game right now as we're as we're recording and you kind of foreshadowed they might be falling apart any minute. They've kind of gotten off to a rough start, and I know their predictions range from, I saw anywhere from like a below 500 team to maybe even a playoff team, but uh, where did you sort of have the Cardinals this year going into the year? Well, my official prediction that I made on the uh, the Viva Alberto's podcast, and I tried making as few like solid predictions as I possibly could just because I'm afraid to do that, but my prediction was that they were going to be like right in the hunt for like a second wild card. I had them actually just barely getting the second wild card over the Giants. Based on early results this season, I mean, things aren't looking great, but two of the three series that they played were against the Cubs and the Nationals, who are probably two of the three best teams in the National League. So you can sort of write it up as being it was probably going to be a tough start anyway. Now, losing two out of three at home against the Cincinnati Reds, who are you know one of the three or four worst teams in baseball, certainly is not positive. But <laughs> there were, you know, a, a few runs were separating them from winning the game that they played on Friday and you know a few runs here or there and a couple of the games against the Cubs, then 
you know, they're only a few plays away from being above 500, but obviously you dig yourself into a hole and that's going to be a problem just because you're going against teams that are about the same level as you. And if they have an edge on you, obviously you have to make up that ground, but it's a long season. So I'm not worrying that much about it. Just a little bit. Yeah, of course it's, it's only been less than two weeks of baseball. So uh, you can't really get too upset either way about what's going on. But uh, what do you think is do what, what do you think is the major cause of their slow start? Uh, major, it's very simple, which is just they're not scoring runs. I, I think that the one thing that's concerning about the Cardinals lineup is that they don't really have like a true like superstar in it. They don't, they have like Matt Carpenter, who's a good hitter, but I think generally speaking, isn't considered to be like Mike Trout level, where he's one of the best players in baseball or anything like that. But at the same time, there's also not like one like huge problem in the lineup. It's just a lot of consistently like average to slightly above average players. But unfortunately, at this point, everything's just kind of been stagnant to start the season. Really, other than like Aledmus Diaz, who's the shortstop, who was a bit of a surprise last year, who's sustained that going into the season. There's been a lot of problems. Dexter Fowler signed in the offseason hasn't really been off to the start that a lot of fans had hoped. Johnny Peralta struggled a lot really over the last season and a half and continues to struggle primarily playing at third base. And there's really just not any one player who's exceeding expectations, I would say. But again, it's it's a long season and hopefully guys are able to eventually jump into um, competence. But for now, it's just sort of hoping for the best of luck. Luckily, the starting pitching has been pretty good to this point, which has kept them in games. But whether that'll sustain, it's hard to say. It seems like you yeah. guys are extremely, extremely, uh, you know, heavy on your, your leaning on that starting pitching staff. You, you know, having Michael Walker come back and be the guy he was during his rookie year, having Adam Wainwright come back and be the, uh, you know, the ace of the staff. And then obviously you have some, some young guys too. Uh, you, you were mentioning Johnny Peralta or Johnny. Yeah. Johnny Peralta. Uh, when he's playing third base, this is a guy that's that's really, I, I guess, for his career. If you look, he's been more known for his bat than his glove. Is uh, is the is the move to third base something that you guys are going to see as being a problem? Is he going to be? Uh, do you see him as as being a you know a solid contributor in the lineup still? I mean, he's he's got to be getting up there in age. Yeah, and this is the fourth year of the four year contract he signed after the 2013 season, and. Inevitably, if you sign a shortstop who's in his 30s and a shortstop who's not exactly known for his mobility, you're expecting that their contract's going to be like he's going to be well worth the money in the early years of the contract. And then on the back end, you're going to lose some of that surplus value. And he's really been an extreme example of it. Like 2014, he may have legitimately been the best shortstop in baseball. And then at this point, he's obviously slid down quite a bit. I think the move to third base is just at this point necessary. He doesn't have the range for shortstop. He was always sort of a mystery why he was so good at playing shortstop even when he didn't really look like the most athletic player but I think a lot of that was positioning but at this point positioning alone is not going to do it and at third base like his metrics have been pretty porous at this point during his time as a third baseman I'm willing to accept that maybe he's actually maybe just a little bit below average but at the same time if his bat can't pick back up then at that point you're not really going to want a poor-hitting, mediocre-fielding third baseman. And at that point, the Cardinals would probably have to make a move as far as having either Jed Jerko moving into full-time third base or move Matt Carpenter back to third base and then have Matt Adams, who's been 
delving into left field this season, moved back to his natural position to first base. The uh, the Cardinals, I feel like, are in an interesting position because similar to the Yankees, uh, a lot of people refer to them as like the National League version of the Yankees. And the Yankees were in a situation where they needed to rebuild because their team had a bunch of old guys on, on the on the roster with that were overpaid. And I'm sure you've read and heard all about it, what they've did. They've done in the last year. But do you feel like the Cardinals are in a situation where they can't really rebuild? Like fans won't accept that. And do you think like after Pujols left and now Holiday left that they have had to kind of change directions on the fly without having a a few bad seasons? Well, I think the Cardinals have good young players who are coming up. The problem is that they're competing against the Chicago Cubs and they don't quite have as many good players as the Chicago Cubs, which granted that could be said of probably every team in baseball at this point. I think that at this point, the Cardinals are probably just kind of treading water at this point because they don't want to go into a full rebuild mode because they do have the pieces to at least compete for wild card spots. But at the same time, you don't want to push all of the chips in when you're going against a team that, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it as a Cardinals fan, is yeah. a lot better than the Cardinals. And it would take a lot of breaks in the Cardinals' direction for them to actually surpass the Chicago Cubs for the division lead. But if they, they do have good young players. You have... Carlos Martinez, Stephen Piscotty, two young players who were extended in the offseason. Piscotty actually a day into the season was extended. But they have a good young core, but they may just be a player or two off of being able to, like, going forward, me be confident in them as being, like, perennial contenders. Because it was two years ago they won 100 games and won that division. So that's not that's not long ago. Yeah, it's sort of a weird thing with the 100-win season because I don't think anybody – who was looking like day in day out the Cardinals believed they were like truly like a 100 win team which granted pretty much no team is actually like truly a 100 win true talent team but they really weren't like they were a good team they deserved like low 90s probably but then last year when they won 86 wins they were there were a lot of bad breaks along the way and you could also justify that maybe they were a better team than that obviously early results this year aren't really showing that but if the starting pitching that's been tremendous, you mentioned, you know, Michael Waka coming back. Mike Leake, his first two starts of the season has been fantastic, which was not a thing that I think most people expected. But if they can sustain that, but then the bullpen's able to come back around and the lineup's able to, if not be, you know, the big home run powers they were last year, at least be a decent team, then this is a team that I think still think can contend for, if not a division crown, a wild card spot. Now I gotta ask you. This is a little bit off topic, but it's it's kind of hitting on it when you're talking about the Cubs. Granted, it's a it's a different scenario and how it actually happened, but the the year of the playoffs and such when the the Red Sox came in in 2004 and ripped our hearts out and beat us in that series. But they won the World Series. Obviously, we all know that the Cubs won the World Series. You guys have an extremely heated rivalry. What are Cardinals fans' reactions? What was your reaction last year for when those Cubs won it? Were you like, okay, you know, it's been long enough, or, or were you just were you upset and you wanted them to, to, to bury them for another hundred years? Well, I was rooting against the Cubs. It didn't hurt that they were playing against another team with a tortured history. So it wasn't like I was rooting for like the Red Sox, just to I guess play to the audience here. But at the same time, my main fear with the Cubs wasn't so much that they would win a World Series. It was that they would sustain it and that they would just, for the next 10 years, just dominate and just basically do what the Cardinals have done, which is have the sustained success. 
Yeah. I don't really I don't want my comeuppance there. I want to just be happy with what the Cardinals <laughs> did and not have to deal with it coming back in my direction. Yeah. Well, think- at least the uh, the Cubs beat the Car- the Cardinals in the 15 playoffs. So at least they didn't win that World Series because I always took the mindset that not only did the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the playoffs, but then they went on to win the World Series. So it was like a, a double stab in the heart. Yeah, I've always wondered with the 2004 World Series if I'm happy that nobody pays attention to the fact that the Cardinals were in that World Series because yeah. <laughs> of the Yankees thing. Because the Cardinals won 105 games that year. They were a great Crazy. team and completely are forgotten in history because they played an entire World Series without taking a lead. So There, there was a freight train coming after the Yankees-Red Sox series, and I, I don't think anybody was stopping that train. The, they were on such a high that it seemed like they could – could have beaten any team in in uh, baseball history at that year. It was it was ridiculous, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad I'm glad uh, I'm glad you were rooting against them. You know, I, I don't know. Being a Midwest guy, you guys are all very nice out there. I know the East Coast were probably a little bit more bitter and jagged, and and you know have a lot more hate in our hearts. Uh, I'm glad that you didn't root for them. I mean, I knew a few people who were rooting for the Cubs, but it was a, it was a minority. It was it was more people rooting for Cleveland and. You know, try to keep it in some sort of perspective, obviously. You don't want to, like, I wasn't losing sleep over the Cubs winning the World Series or anything, but still, from a pure sports silliness, arbitrary rivalry perspective, it, it's still fun to root against them. Oh, I lost plenty of sleep over the Red Sox winning the, the World Series. I still, I still can't look at Dave Roberts. <laughs> oh, I lost sleep uh, over that one, too, but I was 15 years old, so maybe I wasn't quite, um, yeah, there you go, adjusted I in, yet. I was in the same boat. Um, I got to ask you, uh, so because the Yankees signed Matt Holiday, how is he remembered as a Cardinal? I would say that Matt Holiday is remembered. It, it's hard to define him because he was never really like the best player on the Cardinals. Like whenever he was acquired in 2009, Albert Pools was still basically at the peak of his powers. And then once Pools was gone, it became like Yadier Molina being the face of the franchise and Adam Wainwright to some degree. But Holiday was always just a very steady player that is always been well liked there's a fringe minority of fans that i think always resented him just because he wasn't quite that super elite superstar but most people just remember him as being a very consistent performer like other than last season where he started getting injured he was a player who was just known for playing 100 some odd games being an above average hitter and just if you look at his numbers with the cardinals it's not like there's any one season that stands out. It's just every year, basically the same level of production. And when you consider that this was a player who was signed to like a seven-year extension after the Cardinals had traded for him, there's very few players who were signed to seven-year deals that all of the math points to it being worth the money. But if you look at like Fangraph's measure of what his value was over those seven years, even with not producing much value in the last year, he was still well worth the cost. Yeah, I mean, and he was also coming out of Colorado where his stats were inflated. So he was consistent even after he left Colorado, which I guess goes to prove how good of a player he was, even if he didn't have that maybe superstar status, like you said. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason he didn't have that superstar status is because of that consistency in the sense that he would have maybe like, say, two six win above replacement seasons in a row. And you would say, oh, that's a good player. But had he had a 10-win season and a 2-win season, it would be perceived differently. That's why, like, Bryce Harper, for instance, is perceived differently than, like, Starling Marte. And when you're not getting those MVP votes, then it's hard to be recognized like that. But uh, you mentioned Pujols in that, and obviously Pujols was the face of the Cardinals. 
what I mean, what was your reaction? What were Cardinals fans' reactions when he left? And is there any bitterness at this point seeing him just kind of struggle in Anaheim? Well, personally, I was always afraid that this sort of downfall was going to happen. I was worried that the Cardinals were going to go over the top and pay him more money than he was worth. I was sad to see him go in the sense that he was, you know, the greatest player uh, the Cardinals have had in my lifetime. But I, I think that there was a little bit of bitterness in the early on part of it. But I think that's largely subsided. I think that if he'd come back to Bush Stadium in 2012, there probably would have been boos. And that's I would not have been part of the chorus booing. But I think at this point, people are over it. They realize that the Cardinals are better off having not invested so much money in Albert Pujols, having instead used some of that money on Carlos Beltran, a, a player you're familiar with, having been able to extend Yadier Molina and extend Adam Wainwright, and then also use the compensation draft picks to get Michael Waka and Stephen Piscotty. So really all things you know, that could have gone right as a result of not signing Pujols did, and that helped to continue the Cardinals' run of, if not dominance, of viability and of generally being successful. I think actually, I mean, everybody talks about my, uh, Albert Pujols and that and that contract with the Angels of being just terrible and how he is, you know, laboring over over the last few years. I th- I feel like he goes under the radar a little bit because he had such success in St. Louis. I mean, you're looking at his numbers from last year. I just looked them up. I mean, he hit 30 home runs and and knocked in, you know, 119. Uh, RBIs and hitting 268. I mean, the guy is still, uh, uh, you know, an extremely productive player. Granted, he's getting paid, you know, a, a ton of money, and it's and it's based off of what he did in St. Louis. And those numbers in St. Louis, because he wasn't his, you know, his prime years are are impossible to repeat as you're getting older. He's still been a productive player, but like you mentioned, you know, it was the right move for the St. Louis Cardinals franchise, and it seems like the the Cardinals. You know, because they make these moves, they make the tough decisions like this, and uh, they they have good guys who can play different positions, like Matt Carpenter. Like that guy has played every position. It seems like uh, they just seem like they have they really get it. They get it, and they know how to sustain talent, and they know when the right time is to move on from people. Yeah, like in the pools, as you mentioned, he's still a decent player. But if he were with the Cardinals, you wouldn't even have the option of playing him at DH on a regular basis, and. He's a player who's sort of aging poorly in terms of just physical deterioration. I think that if he were with a National League team, it would really be even worse. And I, I wish him all the best, though I'm not necessarily somebody who necessarily follows ex-players super closely. But, you know, I don't blame him for leaving. Obviously, you could argue that he left for the money. I think he almost certainly did. But it's hard to argue against somebody paying 250 some odd million dollars to you. Yeah, it's good. the Yankees kind of went through something like that with Robinson Cano. He was their best player, not to the level of Pujols. No one is to the level of what Pujols was for however long he was in St. Louis. But the Yankees made the tough decision to let him walk. And me, along with a lot of fans, were pissed about it because um, I felt that the Yankees are in a position where they, they don't have to make that kind of decision. But maybe it's working out for them, even though Cano is still a, a great player. Um, all right, final question for me, and I got to find out what your thoughts are on Mark McGuire at this point, because he was kind of him, that so-so rivalry in 98. I mean, that was when I was 10 years old watching baseball. So that summer will be one of my favorites in history. But uh, how do how do you and Hunter Cardinals fans look at him now? It's weird with McGuire because, like you mentioned, how big of a deal it was at the time. Like, the McGuire home run chase was a bigger deal than any other sports story I can remember in my life. Now, 
Obviously, people who are outside of St. Louis might disagree with that, but like it was bigger than the two World Series titles. It was bigger than when the Rams won the Super Bowl. It was bigger than all of that. And yet, part of it's because three years later, the record was broken, I think. So there was it's not almost as like much a joke to, to look at it at this point. Yeah, like it's it's so strange that it was viewed as like, you know, breaking this unbreakable record. And then three years later, it was broken. But I, I think that overall, there's a pretty positive view towards McGuire. It didn't hurt that he came back as a hitting coach and was pretty successful in that regard, especially when the current hitting coach, John Mabry, is pretty unpopular with Cardinals fans. So it helps that McGuire has that extra bit of cachet there. I'm not sure that the Cardinals are ever necessarily going to embrace McGuire, though it's a little bit less so than like with Sammy Sosa, where the Cubs just want absolutely nothing to do with him. The, the Cardinals aren't necessarily vilifying him or pushing him aside necessarily, but he's not quite viewed as part of Cardinals lore, probably to the extent that he should be, in the sense yeah. that he meant so much to not only the Cardinals franchise, but to baseball in the late 90s as just being such a huge attention grabber. One of the uh, one of the things I'd like to to do before we wrap up is is talking about this this series coming up and looking at the expected starters. We're looking at Michael Waka on Friday night versus Tanaka, Carlos Martinez versus CC on Saturday, and then Wainwright, which is um, is pitching against is a TBD, but it's Michael Pineda's scheduled start, so he may be the guy. I, I think what a lot of Yankee fans, I think they're familiar with Michael Waka and Adam Wainwright, but I'm not sure a lot of Yankee fans are, are too familiar with Carlos Martinez, and I know he's one of the you know, one of the hot new guys uh, on your uh, on your squad, and you guys are really depending on him. I've seen him pitch a couple times. He's been impressive to me. He he really looks like he's the real deal. Can you tell us more about him and just uh, maybe a little bit of a scouting report on Carlos Martinez? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I can say about Martinez is he's without a doubt the best pitcher on the Cardinals at this point. Adam Wainwright once had that level, and Walk had promised that a couple years ago. But at this point, it's Carlos Martinez's. It's it's his job. Like he was the opening day starter. He's going to be the guy going forward. Uh, I'm not exactly great as far as scouting pitchers, but he's a kind of pitcher who throws super hard. Whenever he first came up in 2013, he was coming out of the bullpen. He pitched in the playoffs in the World Series and was known just for being a hard thrower. But he had a few control issues early on, didn't necessarily have a lot of command on his other pitches. But at this point, the strikeout stuff's still there. It's not quite bullpen level, but you know, relative to starters. But his control's improved. He's becoming better as far as getting ground balls. He's become a much more complete pitcher. Like he's not quite elite level, like Clayton Kershaw level pitcher, but I think he's probably like the next step below that. Wow. And like where whereas like the Waka against uh Tanaka. Tanaka on not as optimistic about that one from a Carl's perspective. I think that the Yankees have the pitching edge there. I think that with Martinez against uh, Sabathia, even though Sabathia has certainly been better than he's been in previous years, I think Martinez is probably has the edge in that one. Yeah, well, Tanaka has struggled so far this season. So CeCe's actually been the Yankees' best pitcher, uh, or at least most consistent pitcher. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Pineda had a great start uh, two days ago. He took a perfect game into the seventh inning. So uh, if he does go up against Wainwright, that should be a fun matchup too. But uh, John, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for previewing the Cardinals. Again, he's uh, at the Viva Albertos podcast, and you can find him on Twitter at JohnJF125. John, thanks a lot. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. 
Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.